bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 64 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're looking at episodes 4 and 5 of season 6 of The Adventures of Superman. The Mysterious Cube, and, uh, The Atomic, the Atomic Captive. Captive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did watch these episodes. Oh, good. <laughs> and as, you, as you've heard on already, Bob Fisher is back in the house for the second straight week. Say hello, hello. Bob. Hello, hello, This is This is good. One of these is, uh, episodes tonight is in my top five of the, uh, of the color episodes. One of these, one of these two. Can you guess which one it is, ladies and gentlemen? I think Dave McElvinny already knows. I'll bet it's not the stolen elephant. <laughs> it's definitely not the stolen elephant or the Prince Albert coat. And neither of which are this week. <laughs> that I am so happy. Those, because those uh, are, I actually... Those are past, uh, actually. I actually like both of our episodes tonight. Yeah, I do, too. So uh, I think we're this This could be fun. Definitely. And we're kind of we're barreling toward the end here. Yeah. And you... Are recording in a new location. I am. This is my first recording from my uh, from the new studio. We'll call it. <laughs> the new stu- it is always the stu- your studio. Keep that in mind. Always. I was told this a long, long, long time ago that if you are recording wherever you sit down and set up your microphone, you are in your studio. So whether you get in your car, some people record their podcasts in their car because of the sound qualities there. That's nice and quiet, you know, doors closed, windows. Other people record wherever you record, in your garage, in your basement, in your bedroom. That is your studio. I am also recording above ground. All, uh, all previous episodes were recorded in my basement, the basement mm-hmm. of my parents' house. Let's just say I am bucking the trend of geeks in basements. <laughs> but now, when the big flash comes... You are susceptible. You will not be protected when the nuclear blast hits. No. Especially in a place be... I'm in that does not have a basement. Yeah. See, you can't get to your basement because you don't have one. And, uh, well, just remember, when you see the flash, duck and cover. I will be ducking and covering. Duck and cover. <laughs> I'll go hide under the futon that's not assembled yet. <laughs> the Adventures of Superman starring George Reeves. Yes, and not The Adventures of Mike Moving. But Mike did move, and did. Mike is now in a new place, and uh, will be living happily ever after. Allegedly, well, not ever after. You never know. You're very young. This is probably not the last time you will move. No, probably not. Just statistically speaking, for someone your age, it is highly unlikely that the place you just moved to—that you don't even have all your furniture set up—you don't even have all your boxes empty yet. No, I don't. But statistically speaking, this is not your final location. No, I would, I would definitely say not. <laughs> Are you still in New York? You're still up north, right? Oh you yeah, I'm, I'm two miles from where from where I used to live. Oh okay, so you're you're kind of in the same neighborhood. You moved to the neighborhood over across town, basically. 
basically. Two miles isn't really across town. No, it's... That'd be a very small town. I'm a fight at the five-minute drive from where I used to be. Ah, okay. <laughs> Let's reel them back in with a letter from Dave McElvin. Hey, Dave. Yes, Dave is uh, writing in on uh, Man of Screen episode number 57, in which we talked about the town that wasn't, and the other show that was on that episode. I've, I have forgotten as well. I've had a long week. My memory is not what it used to be. And I'm old, so <laughs> there. <laughs> in the past seven days, my time at least, right? I have moved, gone to a wedding, and then in the past 24 hours, I've gone to a wedding last night, woken up early for a Little League parade, then worked, and now I'm here, so... Yay! I will for endeavor to stay awake through this podcast. Well, we can hope for the best. Yeah, and plan for the worst. All, <laughs> we can, all we can do. Plan. Interesting word, plan. All right, so we've got a letter here from Dave. He's talking about episode 57, in which we discussed the town that wasn't and Tomb of Zaharan. Ah, there you go. Yes. So, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. When you and Bob Fisher were introducing the town that wasn't, one of you... I think it was Bob, says, ooh, spooky, about the title. Yes, that was Bob. <laughs> it may not have been spooky, but I have to tell you, I clearly remembered that when I first saw this as a kid, it scared the H-E double hockey sticks out of me. It wasn't that there was any scary violence, although murder was clearly implied by the bad guys. Mm -hmm. What were they planning to do with Lois Clark, Jimmy Henderson, and the truck drivers? So much of the very frightening idea, at least to a kid, that this was the kind of situation I could imagine happening in real life, when mm -hmm. people in authority could, and of course sometimes did, arbitrarily impose their will on others, even other adults, and those others couldn't really do anything about it. When you're a kid, you live in a world in which grown-ups often have rules you're not fully aware of, and, and which you could break and be punished for, without meaning to, and without any recourse. To see grown-ups like the truckers and the planets they have caught in this sort of web was truly frightening and upsetting to me as a lad. Thank heaven for Superman, champion of the oppressed. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I don't think they... Putting Dave on pause for a minute. The only thing I don't think they could have done, really, was move the town the way they did. No, I totally believed it, though. I'm with Dave. I totally believe, and I think it can be done, <clears throat> uh, moving moving the town. I think it was a uh, actually a pretty devious, clever little idea. Now... You know, if it's a real town, if it's got more, I think we even talked about it during the episode that it would be difficult to do. But, but, uh, and if you, but if you keep it small, you keep it organized and your tractor trailer set up, you know, movie people, prop people know how to do this stuff pretty quickly. The, the hard part would be making it actually a believable town. The only place that we actually saw them go into was the courthouse, <clears throat> the jail and, uh, the diner. So we're talking not a big town, but one or two, maybe three to five small buildings that were not really buildings that could all break down in the back of a truck, move down the street. I think it could be done in a couple of hours. And that's why I think it's funny that that and it was clever how they took the prisoners out, drove them around. Blindfolded. The new town was built. Yeah, blindfolded until the new town location was set back up and then take them back and put them back where they were. They have no idea because now that they've been inside the whole time, the only time they were outside was when uh, uh, they were blindfolded. So I think it was really good detective work for Lois to actually put it together, not knowing actually what was going on, but figuring it out that not only was it weird that they drove them around, but that the jail and everything was had been moved without really knowing. It was a good guess. And I'm guessing they moved that town 
more quietly than the two guys taking my furniture up the stairs. Oh, probably. <laughs> all right. Uh, are all the halls still, uh, the walls still in one piece? No little holes in the wall? Dents? Busts? Uh, Hope, hopefully. I didn't look. None of, <laughs> none of my furniture was dented. <clears throat> That's all that matters. Anyway. Right. Back to Dave. As for the tomb of Zaharan, to a kid back then, it was just, it was atmospheric and fun. But to an adult today, it is just chock full of embarrassing stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy Perry complaining about the sad state of Jimmy's education. What did they teach you? Finger painting? But he seemed perfectly, <laughs> but he seemed perfectly willing to accept that neither Lois nor Clark had heard of the cult of Zaharan. Also, with Perry's previously shown knowledge of ancient Greek language and science, it's not surprising that he reads and speaks Arabic. But it was amusing to see even him laugh at the end of the episode. Also, to answer Bob's question, the hat that the guy who headbutted Superman was wearing is called a fez or a tarbush. Ah, a fez. I knew that. You're right. Good call, Dave. A fez. Yeah, I think I heard that before. What was the second? How was it? Was the second? Or a tarbush. Spell that. T a r b o o s h. Tarbush. A fez or a tarbush. I like those names. Okay, good. Uh, I didn't fact check Dave's letters, so uh, Dave, we're, <laughs> we're, hanging, we're hanging out there on your own. <laughs> Dave is our fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> Dave is filling in our knowledge. So right, but this time, okay. Pause one. What pause? Um, read that middle part again about what did he say about the the tomb of Zaharan? As a kid, it was fun. As an adult. Uh, it was chock full of embarrassing stereotypes. Right, and then something right after that. I did enjoy Perry's complaining about the sad state of Jimmy's education. What did they teach you, finger painting? Oh, oh, oh right. The point he makes right after this is that when Perry did make uh, a big deal about Jimmy not knowing. But he didn't care that neither Lois nor Clark did. Exactly. Seemed okay with that. That never hit me before. Well, it, it didn't. I don't think so. it did because kind of the way that was, that was introduced where the, when Clark chimes in, he's kind of defensive of Jimmy. And saying, oh, right. Gee, we don't know about it either. Well, that's true. That's true. Clark did kind of stand up for Jimmy at that point. Right. So. And let everybody know the well, gee, Chief, we're not, we're not, we're not up to it either. Right. But uh, good points, Dave. Good points. Always good points. Yeah. So that is, thank you, Dave. And like I always say, if you want to join, write a letter just like Dave, the address is manascreen at gmail.com. You can fact check us too. You can, also, you can also fill in the gaps in, in our knowledge, like as Dave always does. Yay! I said in a previous episode that I don't think Dave is actually capable of disliking any episode of this series. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're right. I think, and I also think Dave's a very positive guy. Dave yeah, will find he sounds positive. like it. Yeah, he sounds he, he's very positive and will find the good in uh, in the stories. It's kind of like even his comments to me about. Uh, uh, on my Facebook page. Today, I kind of went on a small rant uh, about uh, uh, Alan Moore's Superman story that, quote, ended the Silver Age. But even with that, Dave was was positive in his agreement with my dislike of the story. Well, he was positive that he agreed with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But he disagreed with me in a nice way. I mean, he agreed with me in a nice way. He was cutting, he could talk negative about the story in a positive way. Right. There. Brain work poorly. (laughs) Oh, and, and, and by the way, since we've, uh, uh, this is kind of the email section. The other day, 
and this is a true story. The other day, my wife was in the kitchen, and my wife, by the way, listens to as many podcasts as I do. She constantly has an earbud in her ear, okay? Constantly listening to podcasts. Uh, we listen to different podcasts. Some of them are the same, some are different, but you know. Right. But she's a big podcast listener too. But uh, I heard her laugh out loud the other day, and she was in the kitchen. And I said, Hey, sweetie, what are you listening to in there? What's going on? What's so funny? She was listening to that episode of us talking about the town that wasn't. Oh, really? Yes. And who was the funny one, me or you? I don't really, I don't know. I, I think it was both of us, the way we were talking about uh, and getting into the minutia and the detail of how it could or couldn't happen. And, you know, just, just in general, she was just, she was laughing at the show. <laughs> I was in the middle of packing at that time. So the idea of moving things was on my mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think, you know, that's, that's good to know. Because uh, you never know out here. But I wanted to pass that along that even my wife was listening to the Man of Screen podcast and laugh out loud. Yeah. That's, another, that's another confirmed list, listener? Yes. Thank you, Bob's wife. <laughs> Hi, Kim. Okay. Thank you, Kim. Okay. All right. So let That's me... all the email we have, though. I don't have any more email. Yeah, I don't have any more email either. I could use some more email or an iTunes review. Hint, hint, mm. hint, hint. Where would they send that email? To manofscreen at gmail.com. Terrific. Or if you remember the Facebook group, you can uh, post a comment underneath uh, the episode postings. I'll I'll read those too. Ooh, see, there's an interesting thing to do. Yeah. All right. So why don't we uh, take a break? We'll play a promo, and then we'll come back with the mysterious cube. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. Welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into the Mysterious Cube. Original the what cube? The Mysterious Cube. 
Ah, okay. Good. The mysterious cube. <laughs> Original broadcast date was February 24th, 1958. Writers were Robert Leslie Bellum and Whitney Ellsworth. The director was George Blair. Guest cast includes Bruce Wendell as Paul Barton, Keith Richards as Steve Barton, Ben Weldon in what I believe is his final appearance on the show. I don't mm. think he comes back in the remaining episodes. Mm. Jody Malone. Everett Glass returns as Professor Lucerne. Joel Reardon is the torch operator. And John Ayers is the Navy Admiral. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Your number one source for Superman on the web. It's no use, Inspector. I've been three days trying to burn through this thing. It won't even blister. Why don't you give up, Henderson? First you bulldozed it with a tractor. When that didn't work, you tried to blow it up with TNT. Then you got an army tank destroyer to fire point-blank with armored-piercing shells. And they bounced off without making a dent. And now this. Don't you ever know when you're licked? I know this much, Mr. Steve Barton. If I can get inside this cube, I'll find your brother Paul. No, you won't. Because you won't get inside. Nobody will. Your brother did. He's hiding in there, and you know it. All I can tell you is that uh, Paul built it here seven years ago. Just before he disappeared. Isn't that right, Jody? Well, yeah. If he's inside it, you sure couldn't prove it by me. You might as well load your stuff up. Yes, sir. Well, Kent, I suppose you'll be writing another front-page story for the Daily Planet. Read all about it. Police again failed to break into the mysterious cube. Oh, now, Bill, you know very well that Perry White publishes the Planet. I just write the news. Yeah, I'm going to have a little talk with him. I don't want to have him make a monkey out of me with all those headlines. You don't need headlines to do that, Henderson. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> From espionage to murder, Paul Barton is wanted for various crimes throughout the country. Seven years ago, he disappeared. His brother Steve can declare him legally dead at noon tomorrow. This isn't for publication, Mr. White, but that cube's got me running in circles. You can't get in or out. Yet I'll stake my reputation that Paul Barton's been hiding in that thing ever since he disappeared seven years ago. Oh, but golly, Inspector, that's like saying that he put himself in solitary confinement. Exactly. The trouble with you, Olson, is that you don't think like a criminal. Do you? Yes, of course I... Well, I mean to say, I, I understand criminal psychology. Now, this fellow Barton's been guilty of every crime in the book, including murder, right? You can say that again. Well, if he's arrested and tried, he'll be condemned to die. Now, to a man on that spot... Seven years in solitary is a cheap price to pay for life and freedom. Freedom? Yes, Lois. When a person's missing for seven years, the law has no choice. And Barton's brother Steve told us quite frankly, at noon tomorrow, he's going to have Paul declared legally dead. And we can't arrest a dead man, no matter what he did while he was alive. I see. But how could he stay sealed up in a cube for seven years? What could he eat? How could he breathe? Oh, I'm sure he must have had some kind of a scientific apparatus that would purify and... Uh, recirculate the air, and I'm also sure he had a very good supply of concentrated food tablets and some vitamin pills. Well, now, come to think of it, just how would a man who's been locked up for seven years keep his sanity? Willpower, Chief. Don't forget this is a master criminal with his whole future at stake. Why, just the mere fact of getting off scot-free would keep him sane. And you mean to tell me if this Paul Barton stays in that thing one more day, the law can't touch him? Unless we can get him out by noon tomorrow, He'll be legally free. And how can we get him out when we can't get in? Well, Inspector, are you sure you've tried everything on that steel cube? Everything, Mr. White. 
And we're not even sure it is steel. If it is, it's a tougher alloy than the world has ever known before. Why, it's so tough that I don't think even Superman could smash through it. Superman? Yeah, Chief, Superman's the guy for this job. Don't you think so? Mr. Kenworth, he's gone. Gone where? Paul Barton has really been inside the mysterious cube for seven years with an adequate supply of food tablets, vitamins, and water and air. Steve can communicate with him via a stethophone that works similarly to, to a doctor's stethoscope. Sound can be transmitted back and forth with it. However, only a special acid, when placed on the walls, can aid Paul to exit from the metal sanctuary. Even Superman's powers have difficulty with it. His eyes can neither see through nor burn the material. Plus, his powerful fists cannot smash it. In addition to that, Steve has admitted to Superman that his brother is in the cube. For now, the last son of Krypton is unable to get Paul Barton to bring him to justice, but he has no intention of giving up until the criminal is in prison. However, Steve Barton has come up with a plan that can stop Superman's relentless pursuit of Paul. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen have been captured by Steve Barton. He has them bound and gagged inside the gang's hideout near his brother's cube. Should Superman do something Steve doesn't like, a pellet will drop into a vat of acid. A string outside the house will do this when it's pulled. When the projectile enters the lethal liquid, a poisonous gas will fill the room, killing Lois and Jimmy. Unaware of Lois and Jimmy's predicament, Superman has gone to Professor Lucerne for help. As many of you recall, or I hope you recall from last week's episode of the show, Lucerne aided the Man of Steel during his adventure in South America. Ah, Professor. Superman! <laughs> How are you, sir? It's been a long time. Too long, my friend, too long. I've missed our little talks. What brings you here now? Well, Professor, I need your help. I have a very serious problem. You need my help. <laughs> You're joking. No, no, I wish I were. I've just encountered a secret metal alloy, and I can't break through it, I can't burn through it, I can't even see through it. <sighs> That's impossible. No, I, I wish it were. I'm depending on you for help to try and penetrate it. If you had the ability to rearrange the molecules of your own body, merge and mesh them with their lawyer's molecules, well, you know how water soaks through blotting paper, no matter thick, how thick it is. Yes, yes, now, now, just a minute, Professor. Let me try and understand this. You mean that I might be able to just pass through a wall? Hmm. Have you ever tried it? No. No, I can't say as I have. I've crashed through a lot of walls, but I never just passed through one. Well, try it. Of course, if it is a part all possible, it will uh, require an extraordinary degree of concentration and will. Yes, I know. A challenge truly worthy of Superman. <laughs> By George, you did it! Can you hear me? Yes. I'm on the outside. I'll try coming through again. Here you are, Professor. You were right. Theoretically, it was possible for a person of your remarkable abilities. But I, I oh, just... Oh, now come, Professor. You didn't think I was going to make it, did you? Well, for a moment, neither did I. <laughs> I'm completely flabbergasted. But of course, as a, as a scientist, Completely delighted. D tell me, what was it like? Well, sir, it's, it's difficult to describe. At first, it seemed as though I ceased to exist. And then I became part of the wall, but always with a conscious effort of will to get through. 
Amazing. Truly amazing. And was it difficult? Well, it wasn't easy. However, we do know one thing now for sure. I can get into that steel cube. But don't forget one thing. This wall is, is concrete, comparatively porous. In other words, so you mean that once I got into the steel wall, I might not be able to reassemble my molecular structure? I should say that was a definite possibility. Ah. You might remain forever in that mysterious metal. Well, now, Professor, that's just a chance I'm going to have to take. Thank you so much for your kindness and help. Good luck, Superman. <laughs> this is just for practice. Superman has successfully used his new ability to pass through the walls of Paul Barton's cube. Unfortunately, as he is halfway to the goal of capturing the criminal, he overhears Steve tell of the peril to Jimmy and Lois. The Man of Steel returns to Steve and Jody. I knew you couldn't make it. Now scram and don't come back. Otherwise, Jody will pull that string and it'll be all up for Olsen and Miss Lane. All right. I guess you win this one. We win, period. If you come back here before tomorrow noon, it'll be just too bad for them. Well, if I agree to do as you ask, will you let them go? The minute my brother Paul is legally clear, we'll turn them loose unharmed. Is it a deal? I guess it has to be. Oh, and by the way, when I say noon, I mean noon. Paul's got a clock that runs a naval observatory time by radio from Arlington. So don't try any tricks. Boss, look! Look, he's walking. He's too shook up to fly. <laughs> <laughs> They warn him never to come back. Superman seems weakened by the ordeal and flies away. Steve Barton says he will free Lois once his brother is out of the cube at noon. The clock inside the structure runs on Naval Observatory time by radio from Arlington, Virginia. This gives Superman an idea. Believe me, Admiral, this is an emergency, or I wouldn't dream of asking you to do such a thing. This Paul Barton is not only a master criminal, he's an enemy of our country. He's even guilty of espionage. I understand, but even my authority has its limits. That's why I relayed your request to the White House. Maybe that's our answer now. Hello? Yes, sir. Oh, yes, Mr. President. Yes, sir. I see. Oh, very good, sir. I'll tell him. Thank you, Mr. President. He says if Superman wants something done, we'll do it. Meanwhile, it's 1135. Paul is pouring the special acid on the cube's inner wall. Steve has ordered Jody to drop the poison pellet into the vat with Lois and Jimmy when Paul exits. The clock has just struck 12.05. Paul Barton is free as a bird. Jody drops the venomous projectile. However, there is nobody in the house. In the meantime, Inspector Henderson has arrived to arrest Paul. It's good to see you. Jody, Jody, it's good to be free. Oh, man. Paul Barton, you're under arrest. Oh, I'm afraid you're mistaken, Inspector. You've got the wrong man. I'm not Paul Barton. Ever since 12 o'clock noon, Paul Barton has been legally dead. And it's now five minutes past noon. And the law says you can't touch me. That's where you're wrong. It's exactly five minutes before noon. 
and you're going to jail. Five minutes before noon? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's impossible. My clock couldn't be running that slow. It runs on Naval Observatory time by radio from Arlington. And Superman found that out. Superman? He had Arlington speed up his time signals. Since yesterday, your clock has been gaining a fraction of a second every minute. It's now ten minutes fast. You... you mean... I mean you walked out of that cube ten minutes too soon. Instead of being legally dead, you're still legally alive. And you'll pay for your crimes. But my brother, Steve... We picked him up on his way to court. He's going to prison, too. And so is Jody Malone. No, 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 please don't. I can't stand being cooped up. I... To think I spent seven long years in this cube so I could be free. And the whole scheme was ruined in a short ten minutes. At least I have one satisfaction. Superman may have beaten me, but he couldn't save Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Wrong again, Barton. I had them out of that house over an hour ago. Oh. On your way. Golly, Superman, you did it. Even if you had to use the timetable trick instead of your super strength. Jimmy, sometimes brains are better than brawn. Yes, but when you tried to go through that steel wall and got stuck... Stuck? Why, Miss Lane, I was just fooling. But it was the only way I could think of to save you both. You mean you could have gone on through if you wanted to? Jimmy. We doubted you. Boy, though Clark Kent hears about this, why will he be sorry he didn't see it happen? Kent, we've got to get back to the planet with this story so we can scoop him. Come on, let's go. Unfortunately, Lois and Jimmy are too late. <laughs> Take a look at that, Miss Lane. I'm afraid you're too late to scoop Kent on this story. He phoned it in through Inspector Henderson hours before it happened. We had an extra on the street at the very moment Barton was being arrested. But golly, Mr. Kent, how did you find out about it in advance? I don't understand it. I think I do. Superman's the answer. Uh, what do you mean? Well, you have a private pipeline to him is what I mean, haven't you? Now, Miss Lane, you know very well a good reporter never reveals his sources. So, Bob, what do you think of this one? <laughs> oh, man, this is, this is uh, one of the best, one of my favorites of all time. And, you know, and I want to be honest, too. I was, before I knew we were, you know, before, you know... We get here to do the show. Obviously, I know in advance before I come on what episodes we're going to talk about. So I'm going to watch them. And, and I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to say? And, you know, I want to put my little critical hat on and, and uh, not just be the six-year-old watching this again. But, you know, critical. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I probably blew this one way out of proportion because of the cool effect, the new superpower, you know, being able to walk through the building vibrate not vibrate but do a flash thing kind of move his molecules right. separate them so you know he can go right through the wall and uh, i did see this as a six-year-old when it first aired originally in first run yes i did in 1958 i watched this episode on television for the first time with a whole bunch of other kids but watching it again today <clears throat> i thought you know this is still a good episode it's still got some really fun stuff. I'm not sure that even Superman would have the clout 
to speed up the actual time at Arlington. Uh, well, if, if Superman wants them to do it, they do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah, overall, and I'll wait till we get into the play-by-play, so to speak. But but overall, yeah, this is uh, definitely in my top five of color episodes, and maybe top three. It might be right up there uh, with Divide and Conquer that we talked about last episode. And we have the same professor coming to say, you know, last week I told you how you could split into two people. This week, I think you can just kind of walk through stuff. So your love for these two episodes is all about Professor Lucerne, isn't it? It might be Lucerne. <laughs> Lucerne might be the thing that, that put it over the top. But um, uh, it's the cool powers that were used once and never again. And uh, also the story, I think, this time. They, they did things right. This felt kind of like a Silver Age comic book. Right up to the last minute, the suspense, can he get through it or not? And then thinking he got stuck in the middle. Uh, a lot of little things. When he first gets there and bangs on it and tries to look through it, and George's eyes are hurting and he's trying and he can't see through it and he can't melt it. Uh, it's just so good. It's So, yeah, overall, yeah, I still rate this as uh, one of my favorites, and I think I can justify it as one of my favorites. Not just because of the cool effect and the one-time used power, but that the story holds up and the acting is good and a happy ending. Right. You know, one of the things to me that always made this episode stand out was obviously the cube that Superman couldn't get through. Right. But the, the one scene in this episode that was always very memorable was when he tries to break through the the cube mm. and Ben, he can't do it and Ben Weldon's character just cracks up. Laughs, yes. Laughs. I love Louis Lime, oh, he's not going by Louis in this. I don't Jody, know his name. Jody, Jody, something or other. Right, but uh, yeah, he is so good in this in this episode. Well, he's good in all of them. Yeah. He's just he's just so good at what he does, and he and the guys on the outside, the two henchmen on the outside, right. and then the brother on the inside. I, that's what I say. I think the acting in this was just terrific, and George was at his best for crying out loud. That scene, I just love the scene where he flies in uh, to the professor for the first time. And he walks next to the big telescope. The professor's looking in his big telescope or whatever. And then looks, oh, Superman, and they shake hands. Right. Right there, when they shake hands, that shot of George, he looks, I mean, that is Superman. There's just no, you know, it's not a guy. It's not an actor. It's Superman. And it's the smile on his face, seeing an old friend. And uh, he's just so good. So good. There's so many good, warm things about this episode. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm gushing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. You know, one, one of the, you know, the episodes of this series in which Superman is actually challenged yes. are, are always very memorable. Yeah, I agree. And then and something when we, they were getting better at toward the end of the show's run. Mm-hmm. They were finding new ways to challenge him. Yes. You know, I mentioned this before in one of our previous talks. You know, it almost seemed unfair for the criminal. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. And we'll talk about this in the next, not next episode, but the next episode we talk about right. tonight in the Atomic Cafe. There's a scene where crooks are shooting him, and he's he's the bored George. He's right. the bored, oh, don't give me that. You're really going to shoot me? Right. Oh, please. You know, so, uh, yeah, I get your point there. In this one, though, Superman is challenged. Right. He was challenging the magic secret. He was challenging divide and conquer. He's challenged in this one. So the show was doing a better job at this point of making it difficult on Superman. It wasn't just show up at the end, punch out the bad guys and move on. Right. And the fact that those three that you just mentioned were back to back, you know, 
Man. And just another reason why what happens after this season ends is just so sad. I mean, it almost seems like a slight change in direction on, on the writing of the show. Yes. Yes. And I think it was changing again. I think it was. I think they were going to do a few more challenging things. According to things that I've read, George Reeves was apparently excited about the next season because he was going to direct more of them and that the material was better. Well, they were talking about going a little more science fiction. Right. Which is where one of the stories is online. There is a script online for a movie that was supposedly going to try to be told. Oh, what was that? That Superman and the Secret Planet or something? Yes, yes. And it's terrific. And they made a comic book out of it. Randy Garrett drew uh, the comic. And everyone should go look that up and read it. It is, if you love this show, The Adventures of Superman, do yourself a favor, get online, go to Jim Nolt, The Adventures Continue. Dot com or jimnolt.com, I think will get you there. N O L T, jimnolt.com, and read the comic book that's online right there, drawn by Randy Garrett, uh, using the characters from the Adventures of Superman TV show. It's terrific. I was always skeptical, I mean, not of the story, but of how they would have re- realized that with the technology on hand at the time. Yeah, but that's why the comic is so good. Right. And I think the comic shows that they could have pulled it off even in 1959, which is when it would have been shot. Right. Um, if they had put the money into right, it. Right, they would have had to put the money in it, into it. Right. Um, because it, it is an ambitious story, and it takes place not only on Earth, but on another planet, and uh, an asteroid, and spaceships, and Superman, and it's just terrific. It's a good story. Everyone should go read that story. Okay. Okay. Where are so we? We're gonna we're gonna head into this thing right here. Okay. Good. Here All we right. Go. So the first thing we see is a man trying to blow torches away through a wall, and it's not working. Apparently, blow torching uh, through a wall for four days is not gonna get you anywhere in this episode. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot of smirking going on as uh, as Steve Barton is talking to Henderson, and I think I don't know. I think Barton is the uh, appropriate level of smug as he taunts Henderson. What do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because because uh, Henderson's failing; they're they're not doing it. So so far, the plan is working. And today, if this show had been shot today, uh, we would have seen the entire cube. You realize we only saw we only saw one, one wall. wall. Yeah, but uh, shoot it today, and we see the entire cube, probably headshot, overhead shots, and right. to give us all a kind of feel. But uh, I think they did a pretty good job of giving us an idea of the size of it. It was, you know, like a little house, like a yeah. little, you know, a small apartment. It seemed like he had probably everything he needed in there. Probably 20 Yeah. So, no problem. So, what did you think of the uh, of the stethophone? <laughs> <laughs> Laugh out loud every time yeah. you said it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, very looked like, typical. Looked like a little mixture of a headset that, uh, you know, a, a helicopter pilot would use. Right. And, and the stethoscope. And a, and a stethoscope. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, that's a good description, a helicopter, or for some of the other kids out there, your Logitech headset for your game headset. Yes. Uh, would look very similar to that, except uh, also coming from it is another kind of a rubber tube that on the end of it has the listening device that a doctor might use on right. a stethoscope. The stethophone. Yeah, right out of the Silver Age. It's perfect. Yeah, and I like that he uh, basically tried to explain it to Jody, who didn't seem to get it. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I guess there's, there's some kind of radio on the inside, so Paul can hear what he's saying. Some kind of right. transmission, but Paul can't broadcast out. Yeah. So, apparently, Paul Barton is at the stretch on the inside. And it's fortunate that the show goes out of its way to explain why seven years in a cube is a bargain. Yeah, I was, you know, thinking the same thing. I'm thinking seven years in um, isolation, solitary confinement for seven years. I don't know. I think you could have just left the country or something. But Got some you know, with, with that extradition laws. Yeah, but, you know, is he going to be executed? Does Metropolis have... He was in there for murder, though, right? Apparently, he was in there for every crime ever committed. Yeah, because I didn't think there were um, Apparently, uh, limits on murder. There are no limits on murder. There's no statute of limitations on murder. Statutes of limitations, yeah. And so, seven years, if he was guilty of murder, they could have grabbed him for suspicion of murder. Right. So, apparently, he did everything but murder. His... The show is kind of based on a faulty premise, and I, <laughs> and, and, and I guess we'll get into this now. Yeah. Is that Barnes' logic is you can appear that you can declare him dead after seven years, and then the law can't touch him because you can't arrest a dead man. Fine, fair enough. But if the police, oh, I see. That's right. You're right. I forgot that little thing. He wasn't actually going for statute of limitations. They would declare was, him dead. He was going to declare him legally dead because he'd been gone for the length of time necessary. To be declared dead. Right. But if something huh. were to happen and, he, you know, the police just walk by and arrest him on suspicion of being Paul Barton, if they can prove he is who he says he is, wouldn't that supersede that his brother just declared him dead? You would think. You would think they could uh, legally undeclare him dead. You would think. that there was no body. You would think. But maybe they didn't go that deep in this because, uh, because just the whole idea of declaring him dead alleviates or eliminates any possibility of him being arrested for crimes he committed. But like you say, if anybody, if they, if he's arrested for a parking ticket, right, or and if they can anything, prove he is who they think he is, fingerprints, they can. There's got to be a judge who would say, no, this is Paul Barton. He's not dead. Yeah, because you know his prints are in the system. He'd been arrested before. Right. I mean, in Batman Begins, Alfred declared Bruce Wayne dead. Right. But they were able to get that dealt with through the courts. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Faulty premise, but little kids, 1958. But in, in this world, this is the law. Right. You can just say that. In this world, this is the law. In the, exactly. That's that is not how the law works in, in real life. If you have committed but, a crime, you cannot hide in a box for seven years. Right. And but apparently in Metropolis. you dead. Right. But Metropolis, nineteen fifty-eight, you could. Yes. Yay! But don't try that. Don't try that at home, you kids out there. No, no, no. So. Go to school and eat your vegetables. That's right. Even if they're green. Even if they're, especially if they're green. So I really like this scene where <laughs> Superman lands at the cube and uh, basically uh, Jody spits his drink all over the place, and he's Paul. yeah, because he doesn't trust you. Jody thinks, well, uh oh, we're dead. This is it. Game's over. And I and as I recall, Steve is just talking, and uh, Jody is choking on his drink and trying to point, get him to look behind him. Just a you know, real real funny bit there. Mm. No, he's great in this episode. He's absolutely just just terrific. Right timing and so good. But I love this when when Superman is trying to break through that thing and he just bounces off of it. Yeah, and, you know, and trying to use his X-ray vision to see through it, and he can't. Heat vision doesn't work. The heat of his x-ray vision doesn't work either. <laughs> right. I keep saying heat vision. Yeah. We're, it's acceptable because right. it will turn into heat vision. I'll and, not uh, hold that against you. 
conveniently enough, the scientist who developed the material is dead. I wonder if he had some help. Being dead? Yeah. Yeah, I think he probably had a little help being dead. So, you know, it makes me wonder, what is it about... Obviously, we know that X-rays don't can't get through lead because of its density. But I wonder what actually does block Superman's X-ray vision. Because obviously, this thing isn't lead. But it's... Yeah. Must... I don't know. Mm. Yeah, they're not going to go that deep. They're not telling us that at all. Yeah, they're not, not going to go that deep into it. No, and I can't imagine. Uh, I'm trying to even think in the comic world: has there been other things that Superman can't see through? Not particularly during the Silver Age. Particularly during the Silver Age, where he had supervision, super supervision. You know, could see through stuff on other planets in real time. So, and even though in the comics they've moved away from him emitting X-rays, right? The lead thing still remains. Mm-hmm. I never really thought of it as him emitting x-rays anyway. No, I never did either, but early writers seem to have thought of it that way. Yeah, I thought, you know, they just drew it so that we could see. It was just a visual, visual representation of it. But um, other than heat vision, I never really imagined anything coming out of his eyes. For example, if, if he's standing there using his x-ray vision as Clark Kent next to Lois Lane, right, he's, he's looking... She doesn't know he's looking into Perry's desk with right. his X-ray vision. Nothing is, is coming out of his eyes. Right. But if he were to use his heat vision, then those are visible. I always assume, in my head canon, heat vision was always visible. You can watch certain things and kind of go both ways on that. You can go both ways. We've seen it with Superman, and particularly in this TV show, where he heats stuff up. And it's a di- there's nothing coming out of his eyes. It's just the thing starts to melt, right? Or smoke, or catch on fire. I mean, in Lois in and com- Clark, in Lois and Clark, he would kind of use his heat vision as Clark, basically with a smile, right? Well, in Lois and Clark, he always did that little move his move his glasses down, right? Right. To right. do over top of it, which I don't know, it was kind of funny once, I think. Right. Yeah, it got old. But if you remember Superman 2 in the scene in Niagara Falls after Lois tries to drown herself, right. he looks right. both ways before using his heat vision as Clark. That's what I'm saying. So depending on what what, what the scene requires is whether the heat vision is uh, visible. Well, Okay, so you're saying we can go along with the fact that then uh, there is a version of his heat vision. Maybe he can do – he can control whether maybe, the- Maybe based on intensity, maybe. Intensity that he could uh, uh, low heat vision uh, it does not have visual signs. Although, if it's modern comic books, him just thinking about wanting to use his heat vision turns his eyes red and glowy. Right. Just making him mad turns his heat vision red and glowy. <clears throat> All right. Back to your happy place. Yes. Back to the happy place. We're going to go. Why don't we go back to the big box that Superman can't get him The big box that Superman cannot get through or see through or punch his way through. So he's acting like he's weakened or. Yeah. Yeah. He bounces off that thing and it acted. He does act like it took a lot out of him to even try to see through it. Right. It seemed like as it went on, you know, he's rubbing his head. He's maybe even sweating a little bit. Seemed like he got a little bit of a headache. Yep. He tried too hard. Yes, he did. And failed. Yes, he did. Jody gets a big kick out of it. He does. Maybe Superman should have started this earlier. Isn't it funny how, you know, he first got wind of this on with a date ago. He's known Inspector, <laughs> he's known Inspector Anderson for years. That's true. You would, Seven. Think, he, you would think he'd... Well, that's how long uh, Steve Paul has been in the box, in the cube. Yeah. You, you would think, you know, Henderson would mention this. You would think that... 
Yeah, well, maybe it's just recently come to their attention. I don't know, but the timing is a little wonky that, okay, 24 hours left. Now we think maybe he's in that box that his brother put in their backyard. Well, Henderson does make make a comment that he's been been bugging him for years. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Henderson does make a little, you're right, almost a throwaway line that covers them for the time of why they haven't done something before. Actually, it made me wonder why they haven't done something before. <laughs> well, now they're pushed up against the clock. Right. So, ticky-tock. Ticky-tock. And uh, apparently Paul has a special acid that is going to eat through the steel or whatever it is. But it's going to eat through this cube, but not, not the glass container that's holding it. <laughs> right. I guess I'll have to get the uh, the writers of Breaking Bad to explain to me why uh, hydrochloric acid will eat through the bathtub. And not a Rubbermaid tote. There you go. Rubbermaid. Acid proof. <laughs> so, Ben Weldon is playing a role that he plays very well. He's the idiot henchman. Mm-hmm. And he proves that right away because he's, one, he can't figure out the logistics of the, uh, of the, the specs of the stethoscope, the stethophone. <laughs> right. And then when Steve says he wants some Superman insurance, Jody actually thinks it's an insurance company that sells that type of thing. <laughs> I believe That's you can find. Cool. I believe you might be able to find that on the black market. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Could be a story there. The insurance company that insures you can take out a policy against being caught by Superman. That means somehow. Boy, I that, that would was be a called hard lawyer. Policy. Yeah, that'd be a lawyer because that'd be a hard thing to control. Here in a nanosecond, I just went through all the ramifications of trying to actually have a company selling insurance against being caught by Superman. That would mean so much work. I'm sure Gotham has one uh, for Batman. Mm. If you've been beaten up by again, that'll probably be a lawyer. If you've been beaten up by Batman, call this guy. One eight hundred. Win win one. Tell him you mean business. So uh, Superman flies off, but not to the same observatory from a Panic in the Sky. This one is actually the famous Griffiths Observatory in Los Angeles. The uh, one for Panic in the Sky was a lesser known one. And uh, Superman pays a visit to Dr. Lucerne, who we remember from Divide and Conquer. Yay! And apparently... Continuity! Well, yeah, kind of. Because <laughs> apparently it's been a long time since they've seen each other. Well, again, we don't know about the passage of time between last week's episode and, and this, this week's, week's episode. So, it's a very long time to divide and conquer, indeed. <laughs> right. Maybe uh, Professor Lucerne's playing a caught in the Phantom Zone or something. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? So, here we go. Another common trope these days. Paul Barton is going to abduct Lois and Jimmy because they're friends with Superman. Because it's what you do. It, Speaking it, of insurance. That is where you, uh, that is the insurance company. Kidnapping. Yes. All right. So, apparently, uh, Professor Lucerne here, and I will mention this, that scene with Paul, uh, not Paul, Steve, abducting Lois and Jimmy. Yeah. It really interrupts this great scene with Superman and, and Professor Lucerne. Yeah, it really does. It really does. It's like they just kind of but stuck it, ha- it there. Yeah, but you had to do it. But I think what I, hmm, that's interesting. Where would you have put it, though? Because you, you couldn't put it before uh, Superman and Lucerne. It kind of, it, because it, then had it, would to be, go, it had to go there, but. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. It's it a little because this is such it. a great scene with Superman and Lucerne. This is a great scene, and like the uh, scene, the similar scene in Divide and Conquer. It's a very talky scene, mm-hmm. basically talking you through the the science of it all, or the, right? The comic book science, right? Of it all, and apparently Lucerne is the utmost expert on this, <laughs> as he uh, 
Obviously, he helps to bend divide his molecules to become the two people we saw in Divide and Conquer. And, right. And what is he trying to do here? He's trying to kind of get Superman to loosen his molecules. Loosen them. Yeah, I, I thought that so was interesting. Yeah. To kind of break them apart or something. Or loosen them so that they could go through it or something. It's a little fuzzy, but had Flash in the comics run through walls yet? I don't know. I don't know when he started doing that. Yeah, I don't know when he had started doing it either, and I don't But at this point, Barry Allen is only two years old. Exactly. He's only two years old, but that's the point. How I don't know when he got that that power. Yeah, and did Jay Garrick in the Golden Age do it? Did the Golden Age did the Golden Age Flash vibrate through stuff? Not that I'm aware of. Because the Golden Age Superman did. The Golden Age Superman, I don't remember uh, wait a minute, he didn't vibrate through stuff, but he vibrated to invisibility. Yes, and he did that in the Adam Man serial as well. Oh, did he? See, see, I still haven't watched that yet. I need to wa- I need to pull that. See, I do have that DVD. I need to go watch that. I'm going now, Mike. I'm going to go watch Adam Man. All right, I'll, I'll take a nap and <laughs> let me know when you're in about four hours. We'll come back and finish. <laughs> well, yeah, he but does. Yeah. He, Adam Man was trying to make Superman disappear, so he vibrates and vanished. So Superman himself vibrated to vanish, to right. make himself appear invisible. It looked more he like did it in the comic. It That's like, how he did it in the comics. It looked more like Kirk Allen was going into cardiac arrest, but okay, I need to watch that. It's got Luther. It's got vibrating now and invisibility. I need to watch. Okay, all right, of the me. two serials, it's definitely the more comic booky. All right, what's tomorrow? Sunday? Yes. I can't do it tomorrow. I have to watch it Monday. I'll watch it Monday. I'll well, watch it. The thing is divided into very handy dandy fifteen minute segments too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I could just watch a little bit here and there, ah, but I want to. Binge. I want to watch it all. Marathon, Adam Man, Superman. Anyway, back to this. Back to this. Because uh, now Lucerne has, in a very great scene. Oh, they're they're all great. The, yeah, you know, Until, I love watching Superman figure out what he can do here. Yeah, and and the look on Superman's face. Every it's a serious scene. It this is. is, you know, yeah, it's two guys really acting their butts off. There's no George Reeves and. I forgot his real name. This is Superman talking to a scientist, and we're in it hook, line, and sinker on every word. And the seriousness on George's face, he knows this is going to be a difficult thing like splitting in two was. But uh, right away went over to the wall, went right through it. Yeah, this time uh, his back is to us, so we don't know if he's making the bowel movement face again. <laughs> right, right. And I love the fact that in we in this episode, we see him from the back a lot. Right. Uh, because I just love the way his cape hangs down. It's a little getting to be a little too far down now, right. I think. But but I love that there is some gap there, the blue and the cape hangs. It's such a beautiful cape. Yeah, I'm, not- a- I'm noticing at this point the costume isn't fitting as well as it used to. The sleeves look a little short, too. Short. Yeah, sleeves are moving and rolling up on him. It's fitting a little tight. Right. I think I read in one of the magazine in one of the stories about it is that there was a launder a laundry mishap and that whoever did it instead of dry cleaning it or whatever they they actually shrank it and uh because it was you know they just weren't going to make any more right at that point but this whole season that you know that suit is small it's tight uh but there are certain scenes where it looks so good where if you don't pay it to, don't look at his sleeve length uh, it's almost like I, I wish they had taken the rubber suit out from under it. You know? That might have helped. 
I think it would have helped. It would have helped a lot. George was not in terrible shape. He could have worn it without the the rubber underneath. And I think he could have done it right from the beginning. Um, I don't think he ever needed that rubber muscle suit underneath. Well, the purpose of the even now, the purpose of the rubber, of the rubber muscle suit is not so much to help with the actor's physical shape. It's the muscles that don't show through many fabrics. Exactly. So it's made exactly. more for the suit than for the actor. Exactly. That's why, um, you know, Henry Cavill's suit, for example, that, you know, that six pack down there or whatever, that's all costume. Right. I mean, you know, take his shirt off and I'm sure he's great looking, but they build that into the costume because you're right. The muscles like that don't show through. You have to paint it on for muscles to actually show. And that's what they do in comic books. Right. Costumes are painted on. They're not actual material. So, uh, but I think George would have looked just terrific without the muscle suit underneath. But, you know, because they weren't really showing the muscle suit that George wore is not, uh, uh, you know, sharp and defined like the ones of today. No. You know, and the different materials. His was just big and bulky. I think they could have uh, cut it down. Cut it down quite a bit. But anyway. Uh, I do love the colors of this season's suit. I think it looks good. It just pops off the screen, particularly the red. I just love that cape. The red seems to be the only thing that pops. The other colors look a little pale. Uh, I think, yeah, you're right. Because I, I think in, it was fourth season or fifth season where we had a darker blue suit. Yeah, the fourth uh, or fifth season but, really good. Yeah. Um, but the red here, I God, I love this cape. And those boots. What are all right, so he's he he has gotten through. Oh, oh, are we have the scene yet where he now that the professor's told him how to do it. Yeah, he he does it. Then then he does it, and but he only goes halfway through. Uh, not, not at the cube. First, he does a test run at, at the at the observatory or wherever the professor's right, hiding right, out. Right, and he goes right through that wall and comes right back. So he got it on his first try with no ill effects because they were talking about how if he did this, he may not be able to put himself back together again. Right, he might get stuck in it or something, the middle or something. But, but as they mentioned, this is a simple concrete wall, right. not a super metal of some kind. Right, not whatever. But I do like the effect here. He goes up to the wall, fades away, and then kind of reassembles on the other side. Yeah, I think it's a good effect. I think it's a real nice effect. And they do it really well, which meant they held those cameras pretty still. Yeah. All right, so after this, we have Lois and Jimmy in some trouble. Martin is going to kill them if... Superman doesn't do what Barton wants, which is basically stay away from the cube. And right on cue, having no idea Lois and Jimmy are there, Superman shows up. And without any preamble, he walks up to the cube and disappears into it. And Jody nearly has a heart attack. He does. And But this, I think, was interesting what the brother does. Was it Steve, the brother? Who's inside? Paul is, Paul in. is inside. Steve is outside. Steve is outside. So I think this is interesting that... As Superman disappears, Steve uh, talks to Paul immediately. Superman's on his way in or something. But now Superman can hear all of that. I thought this right. was a good scene no, of him was. going through the, the wall and, and seeing Superman inside the wall. Um, yeah, he's very ghostly. He looks very ghostly. And Right. And now imagine, dear listener, this was something that originally shown in 1958 while shot in color – remember, was never broadcast in color until the mid-60s were uh, in reruns when they brought it back in syndication. Live 
when we saw it for the first time, of course, I only had a black and white TV anyway as a little kid, six years old. Well, I didn't even have my own. My parents' TV probably one, was – Probably one the, TV in the house. Exactly. The one TV in the house was a console TV, and it was a black and white console TV. And uh, a, bo- a console means it was a big box, and it had a little screen, but with lots of tubes and stuff inside. It was very cool. TVs had to warm up and stuff. So, uh, But anyway, watching this in black and white, not color – this was all very, very cool. This scene here was very creepy because uh, your TV picture was maybe a little wobbly anyway. And then this scene and looking kind of spooky. And then you hear Steve telling Paul that he's on his way and ooh, and remembering what the professor had said. He may not you might not be able to. We don't know the metal. You might get stuck or right. you may not be able to put yourself back together. And, you know, so right here, this is pretty tense. And then we see. Uh, uh, or here, I guess, Steve telling him. But I guess that's, uh, do they say at this point when, this is when Superman finds out that they have Lois and Jimmy, yes. right? And that the plan, and that's what really makes him back, back out. Right, but that's not uh, what they think. Right, they think he couldn't get through all the way. Superman comes out basically to make them think that he, couldn't he didn't it. make it. Right, and he was acting like it was really tough and it took it out of him. And he kind of flew away weakly. Well, you know, well, you know what? He he sold it. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering for a minute, but and then they kind of walk away, and then as soon as they're gone, he stands up straight, and off he goes. Right. Right. So you knew that he was just kind of messing with him. Well, no. yeah, and he let and he let us in on it right at the end too. Right. So very good. It was yeah, uh, just a terrific, terrific little bit. And you know, this could all have been prevented if Paul didn't talk to, or if Steve didn't talk too much. Yeah. Steve is so proud of his plan that he basically tells Superman that, well, no, Paul's, you can't, Paul's clock is hooked up to the U.S. Naval Observatory. Yeah. So. Told him what he needed to, to, to win. Well, to come up with the right idea anyway. Right. And here's another problem. Steve and Jody have basically admitted to having Paul in the cube. Yeah. And Superman I, knows now. Can't they be picked up just on suspicion now? Uh, maybe. Of, but of, then you'd still, what are you going to hold them on? Until you can prove Paul's in there. Right. And if he doesn't come out, so you still got to get him out. Right. So I got to dig him out of here. Yeah. So Superman knows he's in there now, but he also knows they've got Jimmy and Lois. Right. So he, he leaves and flies off. Right. He was basically playing possum. So he goes to meet meet up with the Admiral at the Observatory, who relayed his request to the President. The President said, uh, of course, Mr. Superman, uh, whatever you say, sir. And uh, they're, uh, they're going to turn the clocks ahead a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're not going to take the clocks and set them a half hour earlier. Nope. So President Eisenhower said, go ahead, turn the clocks, whatever Superman wants. Yeah, so apparently adds a fraction of a second every minute or something. Mm-hmm. So Paul's clock says 1135, and uh, he is going to start coming out. It's I maybe half an hour for the acid to eat through. I might have waited until like 1 o'clock or so, just to be sure. Yeah, me too. I would have waited. Or maybe you know, wait until the next day. Uh, Exactly. Just but not... Within minutes of the of the thing, right? I agree. But I also have been locked in a box for seven years, and I'm sure he's anxious to get out. But yes. still, if why you, screw it up? If you're at going the to end? invest this much time in making sure you are in this box for seven years, make it seven years and a day. Yeah, give yourself some, <laughs> a margin for error, right? Just in case. So the acid starts eating through the cube, which is a very nice looking machine here. The uh, then he puts the acid around the nice little looking machine here, pushes the uh, 
a very rectangular doorway out through the through the cube. Yeah, it's like a real retro futuristic looking thing. Yeah. It's really pretty cool. So Jody looks at his watch and for a minute here I'm wondering if he notices something is wrong. Yes, he knows instantly. When he sees the watch and then sees the door starting to be pushed open, he knows right then. He oh. he knows it's early. Yeah, but then he just goes, Oh well. <laughs> oh, oh well. Hey, what's going on? Right. Oh well. Maybe the establishment of that shot is to just say that he does nothing. Right. right. So. Oh, he's just getting ready to pull the string, though. That's his job. Right. Then so he goes over, he pulls the string, and shocker, shocker, Lois and Jimmy are gone. Are gone. And it's really a stupid thing for the crooks anyway. It's one thing to kidnap Lois and Jimmy as insurance. Insurance. Don't let them get your insurance. But it's one thing to kidnap Jimmy and Lois, Right. Right. Just to make sure that Superman does what you need him to do. But once, theoretically, once Paul steps out, it's all over, you're clear and free. Well, Paul well, is. I pull, Paul is, but now you pull the string, all three of you are up for murder again. Conspiracy to commit murder. Well, Steve is already on the hook for kidnapping. Yes, and so is uh, Jody. You did it all he, be. Uh, if it's Paul's part of the idea, I think it's conspiracy on all counts to commit murder, to for kidnapping, all of those things. Because once Jody pulled that string by order of Steve, Steve for Paul, then uh, there it is. And um, yeah, all you need to do now is wait for him to come out. Even though he comes out, it doesn't matter whether he comes out and committed or is that guy. Yeah. See, Paul once you pull the string, that adds all kinds of other laws to the problem. It seems like Paul's mindset is he comes out being declared dead and has some kind of immunity from the law. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure what he thinks because if, in fact, his plan had worked and he comes out and he has, you know, okay, I can get away with what I did before, but still, why would you now commit, commit a crime. to commit, commit these crimes if you think you're off? Particularly as soon as you walk out after seven years. All right, kill those two. Why? You just let them go. Now you don't need them anymore. So that, to me, was really stupid. That just didn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it just added a crime that you didn't need. It was just stupid. And all they talked about was declaring Paul dead. There's no indication right. that he that they were establishing. Oh, uh, he was going. That's why Steve left was to go down to the courthouse to officially declare Paul dead. Right, but there was no talk of establishing a new identity for him. No. So is he just were they planning on just having him kind of walk around like a, as a non-person? Paul. Is dead. I buried Paul, Sergeant Pepper. So he's not going. So he's not going to live on through his, through his own son and pretend to be his own son or something. Right. You don't know how he's going to go to the go to look at the uh, obituaries and see who died in roughly the same age group and steal their identity. Yeah. So the whole this whole part of the story is flawed, but yeah, the rest the, the rest of it is extremely fun. Yeah, but then you know the good happy ending and the fun and the. Everybody, as he comes out. So as he comes out, Henderson shows up and he arrests them. So what do you think of Jody's reaction? How I mean, he's all upset about being uh, arrested and being all cooped up. But as soon as he sees <laughs> the uniformed cop holding the gun, he holds his arms out. Yeah. Take me yeah, away. Yeah. Yeah. Take me away. Jody's my, funny. Take me away. My contract has run out. Yeah, he's <laughs> so good. He's so good. He will be missed. But there's only a handful of episodes yeah. left. 
So, uh, but I, and I love this as they come out, and then you know, yeah, but we got your friends, yep, and nope. then Superman walks up with uh, Lois, Lois and, and Jimmy. Jimmy. I guess they've been a been nice ha- little scene. I guess he got them out an hour ago. I guess they've just been hanging out for an hour, hanging around for the story that they don't get to write because Clark, who wasn't even in the story, actually gets the story. Right. <laughs> <sighs> and Superman yeah. shows shows them that he uh, could have gone through the wall, but chose to come out and save them. Mm-hmm. And that's a good scene too. What you doubt me? Yeah, that was fun. But that and, up, and a nice effect. But that's another plot hole. If he could have gone through the wall the whole time, mm-hmm. what stops him from getting Paul out of there and then going back out and cleaning their clocks and saving Lois and Jimmy? Because as soon as he went in, Paul would have yelled out, "Steve, he's in here! Pull the thing!" And they're dead. You got to get Jimmy and Lois safe first, right? And then go in and get the bad guy. Bad guy's not going anywhere. The plot, the plan to speed up the time is clever, right. but only because you're Superman and only because the, uh, the Naval Observatory and the president will say, sure, Superman wants it, speed up the clock. What, can we take it back now after we get the guy? Do we reset our clocks? Well, I, I guess they can reset them. Uh... And was that just for the clock? That No, if you set the national, every ship at sea, every everybody that depended on that clock. It's now five minutes fast. Well, they're gonna, eventually they're going to get their five minutes back. Yeah. But do they set it back immediately, the whole five minutes? Or do they use kind of the same uh, slowdown trick as the speed-up trick? Just take off a couple of seconds every – or add a couple of seconds every – I would imagine they reuse the same trick. Oh, I think they just at midnight just went, nope, it's five till midnight now. Yeah. Just do it all at once. Yeah. Take away the five minutes at bedtime. Yeah. Confuse a couple of uh, third third shift sailors. But I think this one holds up. I think it holds up really well, actually. I was not disappointed, even with the, 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 the plot holes. Uh, it's a fun watch. It is. You know. Probably not the best one to watch if you're a criminal attorney, but... <laughs> no. It's a, it's a fun watch. Uh, Superman is large and in charge, and he's happy and smiley, and a returning character, which I like. Which is very rare in this show. Yeah. There's only been uh, a handful. As, yeah, a handful of returning characters playing, not an actor coming back, but an actor coming back playing the same character again. Right. Uh, to my knowledge, it's really been a couple of the professors. I'm trying yeah, to think that, of any of the it. other. Yeah, because I don't think any of the other characters mm. came back. There's not as, another character I can think of that mm. that came back. Mm, just a couple of the professors. that I Did we talk about it on the show or before the show? Because the only ones we could think of was um, Sterling Holloway came back. Uh, Twice as Uncle Oscar. Right. And Pepperwinkle came well, back two or three times as the, same, as the same professor. He came back and like Topsy, five or, Topsy, five or Topsy, six times. Yeah, actually, you're, you're right. I just remembered the robot thing, the topsy-turvy. Uh, yeah, quite a few episodes. Of I mean, he has, he has two straight coming up. Yeah, the forget-me spray. The and, forget uh, spray, the one with the robot. Yeah, the forget me spray and the uh, the one with the robot, Mister McTavish. That's two in yeah, a row. Mr. McTavish. He's yeah, Mister McTavish. got a, we've got a, he's got at least three more coming up. Oh yeah, and in the last episode, all the, all glitters. the glitters. So yeah, good for him. Good There's for him. Quite a bit of Professor Pepperwinkle coming up. One of the crazy little professors that we yeah. love so much. So much fun. Yes. Yeah. But good episode. That is yeah, that is. I still keep this one up there. I think this one's still, and like I said, I think I can still justify this one being in the top five. Sounds good. 
I can put it up there too. Very memorable because of the cube and the challenge Superman faces to get into it. That's a good memorable episode. Yeah, it is. We've talked about this before. Season six is pretty strong. Yeah. Despite being the final season. Sadly being the final season. Yes. All right. So why don't we take another break? We'll play a promo and then we'll come back with the atomic captive. Hang around, Woo-hoo. folks. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Superman Superman Movie Movie Minute. Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining five minutes at a time, the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. Swell. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Atomic Captive. Original broadcast date was March 3rd, 1958. Writers were Robert Leslie Bellum and Rick Whitney Ellsworth. Director was George Blair. Guest cast include Ben Airy as Dr. Ladislav, Elaine Riley as Miss Collins and X-29, Jan Arvin as Zerinsky and X-249, Walter Reed as General Barrows, George Corey as Nikolai, and Mark Sheeler as Igor. I believe uh, George Corey is kind of our foreigner for all seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is from the old country. Yeah. They took. They made special effort as to not say Soviet Union or Russia. Right. Even though Dr. Ladislav is clearly a Russian name. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever I hope I don't have to learn how to speak Russian. I don't want to learn how to speak Russian. Well, we... Nah, we're we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, let's not, let's not. Oh, gee. Let's not go there. Let's not. <laughs> Why don't we go into the synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. The number one Superman fan site in the world. A few weeks ago, naturalized American citizen Dr. Ladislav was exposed to nuclear material, and as a result of this, he is now dangerously radioactive. Who is it? Friends, Dr. Ladislav! Go away, whoever you are. It is dangerous to come in. Do not worry, doctor. We know you are radioactive. But we are in no danger while we wear these radiation-proof suits. We can even touch you without harm to ourselves, see? Yes. But what do you want? What are you doing here? We have come to take you to the land where you were born. What? You are a brilliant scientist, Dr. Ladislav. You have done magnificent work here in Nevada in the development of atomic energy. And now your homeland needs this knowledge you possess. But this is my homeland. I am a loyal citizen of the United States. Merely a naturalized citizen, my dear doctor. Your loyalty is still to the old country. And that is where you are going. But this, this is ridiculous. I am not going anywhere. Perhaps this will convince you that we mean business. Your gun doesn't frighten me, gentlemen. As you may have heard, a few weeks ago, I was exposed accidentally to massive nuclear radiation, 
Now I have but a matter of months to live. But since it did happen, I'm glad it was in the service of my country. Your real country lies across the ocean. That is where you will spend what little remains of your life in our nuclear laboratories. Otherwise... Go ahead and shoot. I'm doomed to die soon anyway. Well, Igor, as it seems this cannot persuade them, I suggest you show them the other weapon we brought with us. An excellent idea, Nikolai. Do you recognize these ladies, Dr. Ladislav? My sisters, Anna and Sonia. You have them in your custody? But I assure you, they are quite comfortable up to now. But you wouldn't harm them. Not if you come with us voluntarily, but if you refuse. But you cannot take me on such a journey. I am radioactive, and it would be harm to everyone who would come in touch with me. Not at all. We have brought you a radiation-proof suit like our own. When you put it on, your radioactive power will be harmless to others. We will drive you to the coast, where one of our submarines is waiting to pick us up. Now, if you will put down the suit, please. I have no choice. Superman! Shoot him, Nikolai! Shoot him! Well, I think that'll keep them out of action for a while. I'll have the authorities pick them up before they regain consciousness. Yes? Good. But you must not come near me. Oh, I wouldn't worry about that, Professor. I don't think you're sufficiently radioactive to bother me. I understand. But how did you happen to come just when I was about to be abducted? Well, let's just say that I had some other business in the vicinity. Besides, Doctor, a lot of people are concerned about you, sir. A lot of people on our side and a lot of people on the other side, too. I suppose I should be grateful. I am grateful. And yet, I think it would be much better if you had not interfered. You mean you'd rather return to the old country with them? Well, no. But when their government learns what has happened to them, I'm afraid that my two poor sisters will be ah. in very great danger. I see now. The oldest and the grimmest kind of black male in the whole world. Yes. But with your help, Doctor, I think we can beat them at their own game. How? Well, these two are mere hirelings. But the real head of their operation in this country is a man known to our government as X-29. Only a number, but he's the most ruthless, deadly, secret agent who ever lived. So I've heard. So I've heard, Doctor. But when he learns his first plan has failed, I'm sure he'll make a second attempt to kidnap you. And this time, this time he'll do it personally. And with you as bait, we're able to catch both him and his entire organization. I willing, of course. But what's about my poor sisters? Well, their situation is desperate, of course. But you know, any promises made to you by these other people are completely worthless. I know. I know. Well, cheer up. Maybe things aren't as bad as we think. Let's hope so. Meantime, I'm at your disposal. Good. I don't suppose you happen to have a whistle. A whistle? Yes, you know, a bird whistle, a police whistle, anything like that. Why? No. Well, can you whistle yourself? You mean, like this? Yes, that's very good. Now, try it again, please. 
Good. Now, whenever you're in danger, you whistle just like that and I'll be here. By magic? <laughs> but this whistle will hardly carry beyond this room. No, Doctor, it isn't magic. You see, I happen to have super sensitive hearing. And I just tuned my ear to the exact pitch of that whistle. Yes. So I can hear you regardless of wherever I am. It is remarkable. I thought you were joking. No, no, Doctor, I assure you I'm not. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have business elsewhere. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen and Clark Kent are covering an atomic bomb test for the Daily Planet. It has been postponed on several occasions due to bad weather. The site happens to be near the location of Dr. Ladislav's shack. Clark has returned to General Barrow's bunker to tell Jimmy and Lois of a possible attempted abduction of Ladislav, who happens to be an old friend of Editor Perry White. However, according to Kent, nothing came of it. Lois, on the other hand, is suspicious. She and Jimmy leave the military installation, not realizing they may walk into the most deadly situation of their careers. Zerinsky, a foreign agent codenamed X-249, has gone to meet with the head of operation X-29. Come in. You look amazed. Or frightened. Identify yourself. I... I don't know. You don't know? Identify yourself. X-249, Zerinsky. But you are X-29? Yes, I am X-29. You're surprised? I am amazed. Forgive me, but you are not exactly what I expected. Therein lies my value. The typical American girl. But I assure you, it wasn't easy, my friend. Six years at the Academy learning the language, studying with the experts every phase of American life. You are their masterpiece. I'll do, I guess. I know more about America than most Americans do. Tell me, what happened to Igor, Nikolai, and Dr. Ladislav? Igor and Nikolai have disappeared. I tried to find out if they had been arrested. I could learn nothing. This means they failed in their attempt to kidnap Dr. Ladislav. The stupid bunglers. We'll have to complete job ourselves. But what if there is a trap? We'll avoid it. Do you have any more anti-radiation suits? In the car. But suppose there is someone else with Dr. Ladislav. Then it'll be just too bad for them. Not heeding the warning sign posted, Lois and Jimmy have entered Dr. Ladislav's shack, believing they can help him get away from the foreign spies. You'll be in great trouble. I have a way to save myself. It's all right, Dr. Ladislav. We're friends. How do you do, sir? Please. Go out. Quickly. Oh, we're reporters from the Daily Planet. We met you once in Mr. White's office, remember? Yes, but please, go out. You don't understand. I am radioactive, and you are in danger. Why, you don't have to try and bluff us, Dr. Ladislav. Yes, but you must not interfere. Otherwise, I'll have to whistle for help. Whistle? But who'd hear you? Superman. Superman? Yes. And if you leave me no choice... When I'm nervous, my mouth gets dry and I can't whistle. May I have a drink of water, please? We're wasting time, Doctor. If we're going to save you, you must come with no, us. No, no, please, don't touch me. Don't touch. Please, Doctor. It's too late. You have doomed yourselves. You mean, you really are radioactive? Fatally. And since you have touched me, so are you. Oh, no. I can't believe it. You must believe. It is true. Here. 
Here's the garlic counter. See for yourselves. Call me Miss Lane. I guess we're done for. There's no hope for us? None. Well, I guess we have nothing else to lose. But a great deal to gain for the United States. What do you mean? We'll take you out of here before that foreign agent can use your scientific knowledge against the country. Now, come on. No, no, you don't understand. I must be here, waiting when they will come for me. That's what you think, Doctor. Come on, please, let's go. No, no. Very well. I'll go with you, but on one condition. Condition? Yes. We must not go to any city or town or any place where there are people that we might contaminate. He's right, Jim. I know. But now the only important thing is to get the doctor away from here. So well, let's go deeper in the desert and sit it out, I guess. It is 3.45 p.m. in General Barrow's safety bunker. In 15 minutes, the atomic bomb will detonate in the desert. Clark is worried about Lois and Jimmy. However, Barrow's wishes to no longer delay the test. Meanwhile, X-29 has discovered that Dr. Lattice's lab is gone. She and Zerinsky see a cloud of dust, and it is caused by the wheels of a car transporting Jimmy, Lois, and Lattice's lab in the direction of Ground Zero. Any other way could place them in a populated area. Right. Set controls for five minutes. Five minutes? Well, that was it. Pretty soon comes the fireworks, and still no sign of your two friends. That's right, General. No sign. I suppose you know you're driving right towards ground zero. I know, but in any other direction, we'll be driving towards populated areas. This would be a great place to be if they set off the atomic explosion. They postponed it 17 times. Why should they unpostpone it today? Anyway, what difference does it make to us? Yeah, I guess you're right. Miss Collins and her henchmen pursue the trio in hopes of grabbing the nuclear researcher. The clock is ticking with the bomb detonation they're seconds away. Jim, what's the matter? I hate to tell you this, Miss Lane, but the car's running out of gas. Oh, Jim, how could you? Well, after all, it's your car. Why, no, but you're supposed to do something about this. Women. Dr. Ladislav, meanwhile, has managed to kick a canteen out of the car for a drink of water. He's finally able to whistle. Clark hears the noise. He then storms out of the bunker to become Superman in spite of General Barrow's protest. Soon, a radioactive mushroom cloud will fill the desert. Superman has reversed the nuclear explosion, literally driving it into the ground. The force of the blast flipped Lois and X-29's cars. Now Miss Collins and her associates are walking. Knowing they will not get far, Superman decides to deal with them later. Dr. Lattislav is content that Superman helped, but he is worried that the Man of Steel is permeating with deadly radiation. Well, the bomb did go off, but there's no sign of it now. I don't understand it. It is incredible. It just seemed to disappear as into itself. Superman! Superman! So it was you who performed the miracle of reversing the nuclear explosion? I'm afraid I'll have to plead guilty to that, Doctor. We were being chased by spies. They were trying to capture Dr. Ladislav. I know, Jimmy, but their car's wrecked. They're on foot now. They won't get very far. Oh, by the way, Doctor, 
You might be interested to learn that X-29 is not a man. Not a man? You mean we were being chased by a lady spy? Well, a woman, Jimmy. I'd hardly call her a lady. And now, if you two will take the good doctor back to Mr. White's office, I'll join you there later. I have another chore or two to perform. Just a minute. The three of us have been exposed to radiation. And now that you come near us, you're contaminated too. This is terrible. Well, you all seem to ignore the fact that I've just come from the middle of a nuclear blast. If anything, I'm twice as contaminated as all of you. That's right. And I fear that this is the end of Superman. Well, I wouldn't exactly say that. You see, Doctor, I have a theory. I believe that my molecular polarity is the exact opposite of other people's. If this is the case, then your ra radioactivity is the reverse of ours, too. That's right. I think that a, a negative radioactive charge will cancel out a positive radioactive charge. And this is true. We're all saved. So let's try it anyway, shall we? Give me your hands. Put them right in here. There. Think we've been decontaminated? I feel sure of it, Miss Lane. Jimmy, will you please get the Geiger counter? Yes, sir. Golly, it's true. We're not radioactive anymore. You mean even I am no longer doomed? That's right, Doctor. You have many wonderful years ahead of you of scientific research. Now, if you'll excuse me. Dr. Lydas Lamb, along with Jimmy, are in Perry White's office recounting their tremendous adventure. I tell you, it's the biggest story the planet has ever published. I'm proud of you. And I congratulate you on your miraculous escape. Oh, it is Superman who has to be praised. My only regret is that my two sisters in the old country probably will never know. Anna, Sonia, it's so wonderful. However, can I thank you? Please don't try, sir. Lane? <laughs> Golly, Superman, you flew all the way across the ocean to rescue them. I sure wish Clark Kent were here to see this. Yes, where is Kent anyway? Oh, you know, Clark. He never shows up till everything is over with. That's right. Oh, now, Miss Lane, now, I wouldn't exactly say that. You wouldn't expect Kent to get around as fast as I do, would you? So, Bob, what do you think about this one? Oh, I think this is a solid episode. I think it's a sweet, you know, it's got a nice sweet ending. Not a lot of Superman. This is not a huge Superman episode, but he does what he's supposed to do. He comes in and saves the day at the end. And, uh, you know, I, I think I like this better now uh, than I did as a kid, actually. But I thought it was a fine little episode, and some of the humor spots are good. It's a solid episode. I, I can't really find a whole lot of fault with it. And, and um this series as a whole has uh, played around with gender roles quite a bit over the course of the series. Not just this episode, but there were at least two episodes, maybe three in the first season that dealt with, in the second season, of course, but dealt with the bad guy ending up being a woman instead of a guy and uh, vice versa. They've done that several times throughout the episode or the series. So you got to give them credit for that. But I think... Absolutely. You know, and I think overall, uh, this is a real nice episode because it deals with, um, you know, a topic that was on, a well, not a lot, but everybody's minds in 1958. And um, 
as I jokingly said before we started, you're going to have to learn how to do the duck and cover. This was the time period where, uh, you know, I was in first grade when this show was on the air. I was six years old in March of 1958. So, you know, it, it is one of those kinds of things where we literally were doing the get under your desk drill and the duck and cover. And you would hear on the radio or see sometimes on the NBC, CBS, ABC nightly news talk of, of a nuclear test in the desert. So this was based on reality. This was not, you know, uh, a total fabrication. Now, of course, it's a spy story. Right. And, and, you know, there's some drama they built around. But as far as the nuclear tests, this was a daily occurrence in the 50s. We don't do this now. We don't have this stuff now. We, well, for as long as it lasts, anyway, there are, <laughs> we have laws in place now uh, about how and when nuclear tests can be done and we just don't do them this way so that's why it's such a big deal now when korea or some of these other countries do their nuclear tests you know if you get creeped out a little bit by hearing that korea has set off a bomb currently imagine that happening every day that you're hearing of uh, of a nuclear blast being tested in the desert or this country there and but in the 1950s there was only two of us doing it Right. So it was scary times. So this was, you know, right out of the headlines. But I think it's a really fun story. I think that uh, fun's probably not the word for it. But I think, again, Jack Larson and Noel play uh, play their parts perfectly, sticking their nose where it doesn't belong, getting into trouble where it doesn't belong. Ignoring warnings with a smile. Ignoring warnings, going in the wrong direction, going doing exactly what they're not supposed to do, but kind of for the right reasons, good reasons, but still. We're getting into the late 50s, so the cars now are getting into some of my favorite time periods. 57 through 50, actually 62. 57 to 62 are some of my favorite cars for looks. There's a time period when cars were distinct, and uh, that's a nice, beautiful car there that uh, they're using. And that's a car that gets used, and and remember in the... Uh, magic story the magic secret right. this car was owned by the bad guy <laughs> well there were two of this car in this episode the blue one and the orange one that's true the blue one was used by the bad guys in uh, the magic secret right and the bad guys used the blue one here and lois used the orange one. okay okay so maybe they are kind of staying a little but but yeah really cool cars so uh there's a lot i like about this particular episode and about this season as a whole but uh, what did you think of this episode? The first thing that kind of stood out to me was that it was very topical. Right. It, you mentioned it's a spy story, which you don't see a lot of in, in this show at all. Right. So it was different in that regard. But it was a Cold War type spy story. Yeah. Yes. What kind of... Secret a, agents. Right. X-89. Very cool stuff. Although I was quite amused that they would keep saying that Lattice Lab was from the old country. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a Russian name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rush. It's pretty obvious who they were talking about. Right. So and, I'm not sure who they're fooling here by just saying the old country. The old country, right? Uh, even at the end, when Superman brings his two sisters in, I, you know the way they're dressed and all. It's kind of stereotypical. Uh, what we think of, I guess, back then as the typical Russian type. Right. You know. Um, but that that look, I think, was uh, a lot of that look from that part of the world. Could have been was Pakistan a country then? Uh, you, Yugoslavia and 
Czechoslovakia. And, they, they might have been new countries back then. Yeah. Well, the World War Two split up countries. Right, yeah. But, which, yeah. which is after, this is about 13 years right. after World War Two. so those countries would have been out there. Right. So, uh, it, it's just really terrific. Really, really, really terrific stuff. And very, like you say, I agree, totally topical. You know, uh, with the, a, a few changes in dialogue, this could be a modern episode. Oh, absolutely. Except that we don't do nuclear uh, tests like this in the desert anymore. I'm not quite sure. Hmm. I might have to look that up, actually. When was our last nuclear test? That because is- we have a nuclear, we're part of the, until the current administration says no, we are still part of the nuclear test ban treaty. So I don't know. We'll have to see. I'd have to. I'm gonna have to look that up. But uh, okay. So it's time for the play-by-play. It is. <laughs> and we start off with, like I mentioned, the two very from the very familiar-looking vehicle with the two guys coming out dressed up in radiation suits. Very spooky to a little kid. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Those radiation suits suits are 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 spooky to a little kid. Well, they should be. They kind of look like the thing you expect some kind of alien creature to come out of. Right. And remember that first season episode uh, where we went back to Lois's hometown oh, where the uh, fog was killing everybody, you know, and they were using weird, you know, spooky suits there, too. Yeah, the one guy was, yeah, that was well, more of that. Yeah, and he was spooky. I should remember the name of that episode, but I don't. Uh, and I'm old, so I don't remember. Sorry. I have to look at it. <laughs> that, was long, that was a long time ago. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? We right. talked about that as a first season episode, and here we are. In the what this is like the episode this is fifth and sixth episodes of season six. Yeah, so we're halfway through the last season. Wow, now. wow. We have wow. two more planned after this, and then and, wow. and, and then it's done. And then my time on Man of Screen is done. Well, I'll let you come back. Oh, thanks. So I was close. Apparently, Lattice Labs little hut or shack or whatever it is he's staying in has a sign on it that says "Radioactive Professor Inside, Stay Out." So what do Lois and Jimmy do? They don't stay out. They don't stay out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's later. That's uh, first. But it's got... a good thing they have their radiation suits on. It is. These guys. These guys are a little <laughs> bit a little smarter than Lois and Jimmy are going to be later. Yeah. So they're threatening him to do his work for the old country and not the new country. And he mentions that he was contaminated by radiation, so he's dying. And apparently, he's made peace with that and. So threats don't really work on him. So the our evil spies, because, you know, of course, the other country is always the evil one. I'm surprised they didn't call him Natasha and Boris, the two bad guys, yeah, the know. woman and the other guy. Igor and Nikolai, that's not... That's pretty close. That's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> pretty close. But Boris and Natasha would have been funny right out of right. Rocky and Bullwinkle. So when they realize that Vladislav's own death means nothing to him, they threaten his family. And uh, then Superman comes right in at the right moment. He uh, gets shot, gets shot at in a very bored fashion. Yeah, it's really this is a funny bullet bouncing scene. Yeah, bored, stiff. Right, and he uh, takes these two guys out. But he should do a special for these guys. These are foreigners. They may not have seen the bullet bounce off. These aren't local thugs. And this isn't Metropolis either, so there's no reason to suspect. No reason for him to be bored. These, this may be the first time these people have experienced this. Right. <laughs> Just because it's routine to Superman. Take a tip 
from Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio. They hustled all the time. Why? Because it could be somebody's first game. Right. Well, you know, there was an episode in season five, Money to Burn, where the criminal does realize he can't kill Superman. Yep. Right in the last scene, uh, Torch makes a point of saying, yeah, he can't kill Superman, but he can shoot Perry. I commented on why he would think Superman would let that happen right in front of him, but... Yeah, exactly. So, Superman bursts in, and he's going to... Apparently, Superman knows about this Agent X-29. This is when, uh, you know, the powers that be were not afraid to let Superman be American. (laughs) And kind of act as a... Kind of a government agent when the situation called for it. It's the American way. Right. You know, he's not fighting World War II here, but he is flushing these guys out because they're criminals. It's preventing World War III. Right. So he asks, Gladys Lab does not have a whistle in his lab, so he asks if he can whistle. He can. Superman does this little uh, wiggling with his head, <laughs> which apparently lets us know that he's t- that's how he tunes his ears. I thought this was a nice little scene, though. Wasn't yeah, it bad. does. It's a very it long bad. scene. Yeah, a really long scene. And then, but Superman asks any whistle, and when he tries to whistle, he's looking right at the camera. Right. And uh, Superman is not. But, but it's a. Uh, uh, a nice little scene. Superman kind of bends over and puts his arm on his shoulder and right. tunes in to that whistle. To make sure that he can hear it no matter where he is. Mm-hmm. He could be at the planet on the can and apparently he'll hear this whistle. I think Jimmy had his signal watch by now in the comics. I wonder when Jimmy got his signal watch. I might have to look that up. Did he have his signal watch yet? Hmm. I'll have to look that up because um, that would have been funny if Superman had just, you can't whistle. You have a watch? <laughs> ah, good. Good, yeah. Here, but okay. Just from my rudimentary Silver Age reading, I want to say that he maybe has it. I think it's close. It's probably around this time he got it in 58, 57, 56, 57. I'm about 100% sure that he either does or does not have it at this time in the comics. Well, gee, it's too bad there's not some sort of a, I don't know, some sort of a device, a thing, a place that stores knowledge and information that one could search easily and quickly for. And if you want to search for that for that place, you can uh, send me an email at manofscreen.com at manofscreen at gmail.com and let me know what you find. When did Superman give Jimmy Olsen his signal watch? I'm going to guess around the beginning of the Jimmy Olsen comic series. I think before that. I think before Jimmy had his own comic, he had a watch. So I definitely think that was before 58. So Anyway, moving on. Professor Ladislav will not be getting a signal watch. Because a signal watch would work whenever you plug it in or or hit the button. The same can't always be said for for a scientist with uh, who has to whistle. You know, one case of dry throat and oh yeah, whistling is not easy no. for everybody. There are people who cannot whistle, and this professor guy here has a problem. He had a problem whistling when he was not under stress, right? Just when Superman was there, so. Whistling under stress is a difficult thing. If he's thirsty, he uh, he cannot whistle. All right, so after this scene, uh, we hear him learning learning to whistle, and Superman tunes in. Lois and Jimmy are in, I guess we're in Nevada or something, covering a nuclear test, probably in the uh, in the deep desert, and they're pretty bored. Apparently, the test has been postponed a whole bunch due to, due to weather. I'm not sure what kind of bad weather you're going to have in the middle of the desert, but they're having some bad weather. And so Clark told Jimmy and Lois that he was visiting with Lattice Lab, and apparently everybody knows about this little guy living in a hut in the desert. And then now we're going to move on. And it does seem like it's a very busy little shack, doesn't right. it? Lots of visitors for a place that's kind of hiding out in the middle of the desert. So we're going to move on from that, and apparently uh, X-29, who Superman is trying to 
catch with his elaborate scheme here is a woman. And apparently she has studied so well for her cover that she claims to know more about America than most Americans. Which, sad to say, probably isn't hard. It's kind of disturbing how many Americans are ignorant of their own country. Well, I was just trying to look up the signal watch thing. And for crying out loud, it went on forever about the signal watch, who the signal watch, whatever. But it just didn't say... An issue, whatever, whatever, Superman gave Jimmy Olsen is uh, they go into detail about what it is and all that, but it didn't, didn't, in my quick overview reading, did not show me a, an exact time. You know, that was frustrating. I had the exact problem, the same problem when I was trying to find out the origin of Lex Luthor. Mm. When he became, when he officially got his first name. Right. I found all kinds of information about Lex Luthor, but not when he would. His first name was revealed for the first time. I wound up, yeah, asking, I, I wound up yeah. asking John Wilson. <laughs> right. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting because uh, <clears throat> they just went on the the two sites I just went to while you were doing that. Uh, it just talked all about the signal watch and distinguished between the Jimmy Olsen of Earth One and, and the current Jimmy Olsen and all that other stuff. But uh, all I really was looking for is an issue. Just give me, just say an issue, whatever. When did but they it make were telling the appearance? Yeah, but they were telling it as if the story, you know, uh, they they were giving the surroundings. Jimmy Olsen first, you know, and telling his whole history. Jimmy Olsen first came to Metropolis and super blah 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 blah. Right. So it, it'll take more research than I can do on the fly here. So it'll make it a trivia question. Dave McElvinney will also know. No, I'm he'll, sure. He'll, he'll probably, he'll, he will probably write that in the day this show is published. I hope. So, like I mentioned, X-29 is a woman. And what do you think about her knowing her claim to know more about America than most Americans? I do not disbelieve that at all. I believe right. that wholeheartedly. Americans, unfortunately, do not know as much about their own country as I'll bet a well-trained spy does. And that's also a trope we've seen before in other areas of fiction. Uh, that happens a lot where the spy, the person learning to right. be an American, knows more about uh, our constitution, our laws, our other things than Americans themselves. Yeah, I, I, I firmly believe that that's fine. I, I would have no trouble believing that X-29 knows more about America than the average American. And so with the failure of the previous two men, she's going to go out and... Take care of him herself, and uh, this plays right into Superman's hands, kind of. What doesn't play into Superman's hands is Lois and Jimmy showing up at the professor's little shack. But but at least they have their protective suits on. No, they don't. They yeah, don't. that tweet is not protecting Jimmy from anything. <laughs> yeah, they just uh, barge right in. They yeah, look they, at the thing, they barge right in. They say, no, that's not just to scare people away. And then they even talk, right, to, well, come on, I'm looking at you, look fine. Right. Don't be ridiculous. Well, they, they were ridiculous, and they got themselves contaminated. Nice work, Lois and Jimmy. Really? Now, see, Phyllis Coates would have put on a protective suit. She would have taken the helmet off when she got there. Right. But she would have worn the protective suit. You know why in movies and TV shows, when uh, somebody shows up and they have a hood on, and then just before they say their line or do their dramatic scene, they take the hood off. You know why? It's so that we can actually know that that's the real actor right. in the costume and that the actor gets the actual face time. Right. But because it's ridiculous. I was watching, I think it was Arrow a couple of weeks ago, and everybody's got their hoods on, right? And their masks, and they're getting ready to break into a place. And just before they enter the code, 
to break into the place, they all take their hoods off and, mono- and monologue. And that's to- that's go- what are you doing? <laughs> you think the cameras, the stuff. There's a reason you got your hoods up. Oh, for crying out loud, actors. Yes, I know. <clears throat> okay. So, like, like I mentioned, they come in, they're going to get Lattice Lev out of there, and uh, they grab him, and congratulations, Lois and Jimmy. You Yay! have irradiated yourselves. Way to go. Yay. Oh, wait. No. That's sad. Lois yeah. and Jimmy are going to die. Yeah, well, they had it coming. They should have read the sign. <laughs> Should have read the well. They read the song. They just didn't believe it. Well, I think they believe it. They get the Geiger counter, and now they believe it. Now they believe it. Actually, I think Jimmy believed it. Lois didn't believe it. Yeah, she she needed to ask if there was no hope, and uh, right. Now she believes it. Now she believes it, and this is basically Lois and Jimmy doing what they do best. They are screwing everything up with their good intentions. Right, but at least they're going to drive the car and get away and go go where it's safe. Well, it doesn't matter if they go where it's safe. They're going to die. <laughs> They're going to be glowing in the dark soon. Yes. And this whole time, uh, Lattice Lab is whistling. And when he's in the car... He's trying to whistle. But I think all he's doing is just kind of spitting in Jack Larson's ear. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and Jack Larson is, is so funny. Oh, flipping his ear and pushing it away. So funny. Well, the actor is probably spitting in his ear while doing this. I think he is, yeah. So I don't but it's that... a funny bit, and Jack plays it to the hilt again. He it's does. just really funny, and great facial expression. And, and if he's actually inadvertently getting split in the ear, he's uh, not breaking character to wipe his ear. He's showing his irritation through his acting. So, another great performance by Jack Larson, who is always working, even when he's yes. in the background. Even when he's not. <laughs> so, apparently they picked a clear day to, to be bored, and the nuclear test is going to go on as scheduled for the 18th time. So now we're going to go into the bunker and uh, we're going to meet the general. And this is, if he looks familiar to you, he should. This is Walter Reed, who played Corrigan and Superman in the moment. Yep. Knowing that Lois and Jimmy are nowhere to be found, Clark asks for a postponement, but he doesn't get one. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Yeah, the, the, uh, even though Clark is getting frantic and hysterical, the, uh, the aren't the uh, I guess they're the Army of the Air Force is not going to delay their test any further. We're on a schedule. Cost money. Time's ticking away. Absolutely. Fire! Shoot that thing. Want to see the big mushroom cloud? Boom! So here come out foreign agents to kidnap Doctor Lattice Lab, and uh, they come up empty because nobody's home. Good old Lattice Lab. Yes, and uh, back at the bunker, Barrow or Barrel or Barrel, whatever his name is, is very cavalier about the fact that Lois and Jimmy are nowhere to be found. So he doesn't care. Only Clark does. But as they're driving away, Lois and Jimmy are feeling kind of hopeless. Well, they think they're going to die. Right, so it doesn't matter if they're driving right to ground zero. (laughs) They may as well um, get vaporized by the nuclear test. Why not? And uh, meanwhile, Lattice Lab is still trying to whistle. Meanwhile? Where's Ted Knight when you need him? Yeah, exactly. But then Lois (laughs) and uh, Lois' car runs out of gas, and it's all Jimmy's fault. (laughs) Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because Jimmy was supposed to take care of it. Even though, as, as Jimmy points out to Lois, it's her car. It's her car. So I guess, <laughs> I guess part of Jimmy's job description is also to make sure Lois has a, has a full tank when he drives deep into areas <laughs> with no gas stations. Right. Oh, God. So I, funny. I understand. Running out of gas is no fun. No, it's not. But fill up before you drive into the deep desert. Wait till the future comes when you run out of battery juice. And you're nowhere near a charger. 
This is why I don't have an electric car. Ooh. I thought it was because there's still 75 grand. That too. <laughs> but I don't feel like running out of battery power in the middle of the highway. Yeah. Yeah. There will come a day. I think there will come, not in my lifetime, but I think there will come a time probably, um, maybe even before Haley can drive, there will come a time where there are as many uh, driverless electric cars on the road as there are gas-powered human-driven cars. I'm not ready for driverless cars. I am. I have total faith in computers. <laughs> I haven't driven a car since 1988, so right. uh, I'm quite comfortable with a, uh, a computer-driven car because I don't think humans should be driving those <laughs> things anyway. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not real comfortable with, uh, with a lot of the people driving cars. Maybe right. a computer would do better. Right. You see, that's the whole point. And the fact that every person thinks they are a great driver. Everybody thinks it's the other guy that are lousy drivers. Oh, absolutely. And it's true. The other guys are lousy drivers. Just because I was blind didn't mean I was a bad driver. Right. <laughs> Just because you couldn't see where you were going. Exactly. As they get, as they get out of the car, they uh, drop the canteen because that's important. Uh, of course. It's setting something up for later. Yes. Or not, not that much later, really. Not much. It's very seen. needs his whistle wet. Or right after Clark runs. And he wets the whistle, and Clark eventually hears it. It gets to Clark in the bunker. Yep. He looks through, I guess, some kind of telescope or whatever it is. And why did he have to do that? Well, he's apparently his supervision works through the machine. Yeah, well, he didn't need. He could have, should have, just be able to use his. I, I, in my head, right? I think he saw that they were out there with his own power, right? Yeah, his own right. supervision. He ran to the telescope to then show the general that they were out there. Yeah, well, the general had no interest in looking. Couldn't care. Nope. He's got his test, and that's all he cares about. Yep. Kaboom! So, he runs out. Oh, I thought, by the way, uh, when the when the professor whistled, when he finally gets his whistle going, another great bit with Jack Larson. A smile on his face, so believably saying, hey, you yeah, got your whistle back. Yeah. You found your whistle, or however he put it. It was right. another little great bit just from Jack Larson. So many great bits from Jack Larson. He, he really does. It, it is so many of them. And uh, it's just so good. He's so good. He's, he's definitely one of the MVPs of this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's a nice shot of Superman taking off. It must be from a former season because the costume was a nice shade of blue. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think this. I think these flying most of the flying scenes and takeoff stuff uh, is from the fourth and season and fifth season. Because I think the fourth season they had to do some new new flying scenes. But some of these flying scenes they're reusing from the first color season. Right. Except for the uh, except for the uh, one in this one because they do ha- had to shoot a flying scene for this. They do had they had to shoot some new new flying scenes exactly for him flying around to to blow up their uh, block. The, the nuclear bombs. It looked like he was just kind of like flailing his arms. Yeah, but he was trying to pull a thing to, you know, suck it all back down or push it all back down or something. Well, I'm not it, sure I don't remember the physics that they tried to explain how what he was actually doing. He, was, he said he was driving it into the ground, so apparently the yeah. ground was going to be radioactive. Right. His superpower was to get the stock footage to play in reverse. <laughs> Even though it... Knocks both cars onto their side and makes them both all inoperable. Yeah, knocked a 2,000-plus-pound car over. Apparently, Jimmy Lois and the professor didn't weren't affected that much. No, they were fine. Mm-hmm. 
It didn't matter to Lois's car. It had no gas in it anyway. Yeah. But that, uh, but the explosion was enough to take out the criminals, and Superman's gonna go pick them up later. Or send someone to pick them up later. And now that the, uh, we're gonna find out that apparently Superman's polarity is the opposite of normal humans. <laughs> so apparently all they have to do is join hands, let some sparks fly, and everybody's okay. Right. Because comic books. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that yeah, was a nice spark. It was fun. It was a great little effect. It was uh, a fun thing. Uh, for those of you who like to see behind-the-scenes pictures, this little scene here of uh, Superman showing up to the next with a, and then straightening the car up and then putting her hands together, that little bit there, there are behind-the-scenes pictures of that scene online. Some of them have been colorized. Uh, they only picked the originals, I think, were black and white. But it shows the ladder. Superman jumps off of a ladder into the scene for landing. You can also see the lift and the machinery behind the car uh, that was used for him to very believably, I think that was a real well done timing scene of him straightening the car, bringing it back down. Uh, it looked good. It looked like something Superman could do and right. was doing it right then. It really is. But uh, if you're ever interested, that's something you can Google and find that uh, some behind the scenes pictures of, of George doing that. He did way more stunts on his own than people give him credit oh, absolutely. for. And he liked doing the stunts, particularly those kinds of landings and the crashing through stuff. Uh, he loved doing the crash and would get really upset when uh, um, a wall would melt instead of pop. Right. He really wanted to jump through the wall and have little bits of the wall smashed out towards the camera. He loved doing those those takes. You know, he in the previous episode, he didn't make a comment about that when he was talking to, the, to Professor Lucerne. When he'd ask if you ever passed through one, he said, no, I've never passed through one, but I've crashed through a lot of them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, so anyway, that scene there, I think, is a really t fun scene. It solves the problem pretty quickly and right. easily. And uh, nobody had mentioned that his atomic structure was opposite of humans before. But it worked or out since. for this episode, and there it is. Yeah. And there is absolutely no tissue damage caused by this radiation, thank God. Oh, anybody? of course not. No, of course not. Now they're all better again. They're healthier than they've ever been before. So after this, they fly the professor from Nevada to the Daily Planet office where the story can end. Mm -hmm. And Superman off screen rescues his two sisters. Mm -hmm. And everybody's happy. And, you know, yeah, very, uh, uh, you know, a very sweet, sweet ending very very uh right. you know sweet man reunited with his sisters that whose lives were being threatened mm -hmm. so in a way it was very dark early on it was uh russian spies radioactive death potentially time you know uh, i love episodes that tick down time star trek used to be do it as well as anything the original right. star trek and uh, we've had two tonight that dealt in some way with time. But uh, this one, you know, and again, for a kid, I was six when I saw this for the first time. Very dramatic uh, stuff going on with spies and Russians, and although they didn't say Russians. I've never assumed anything but Russians, even as a six-year-old kid in right. 1958. And, and, 
you know, and it brought back a few of those memories today. I smiled a little bit and then actually laughed a bunch at Jack Larson. And I think since, uh, uh, since I've been doing these shows with you, one of the first things we talked about, even in the very early episodes of season one, was how underrated Jack Larson oh, has always been. And we've been talking about this throughout all six seasons of this series from the get-go. And since we've been doing that and re-watching these, uh, I've been doing this a lot anyway over the course of everything I watch. Sometimes I go back and say, okay, now I'm just going to watch actor X, Y, or Z. But since I've been doing these with you, I've been paying a lot more attention to Jack Larson's performances in these shows. And they're just terrific. They're just absolutely terrific. He, you know, he, he took, he took to heart what, uh, I think George Reeves even said early on that once they all decided to do this show, they were going to do it the best they could. Right. Every minute they were in there, they were going to take it seriously. They were going to give the best performances they could. And here we are in the sixth season, and I think they're still doing some really, really good performances. Yeah, no one is mailing anything in here. No, no, not at all. None of them are. And even in the episodes where we kind of make fun of Tomb of Zaharan and, uh, and some of the others that we've made some fun of, you can't really point out that Jack and Noel just mailed it in. Right. No, they they really didn't. Even in that goofy episode where you know they had to have been very self conscious coming on to the set in those costumes. Right. And but I and I'm sure they got kitted, and I'm sure that Noel had to uh, handle a, a few wolf whistles on set. Right. Before they you know got down to business. But uh, no, you can't blame any of these actors. You can never really say. And this is what irritates me because periodically I will see stuff about John Hamilton phoning it in and right. i'm thinking no 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 no. he never phoned it in there were some episodes maybe he had his script there on the desk right maybe he had some notes reminders whatever but you know for his age for what he had been through the timing and the way they were shooting these episodes even in season six right where they were still shooting uh multiple desk scenes or office scenes of multiple episodes at the same time and then editing them together. So, no, kudos to all these guys. They, they did not mail it in. No, no, no. Uh, and this was a nice episode. I, I enjoyed both of these tonight, particularly the, the Mysterious Cube. But this one was, I expected to not like this one as much because the ending, I used to think uh, early in my life that, oh, that's kind of corny and schmutzy, right. whatever. But it's really sweet. It's a really nice little ending. And, and it's uh, something super, Superman would do. And it is something Superman would do. Exactly. And watch it while everybody else is smiling and laughing and having a good time. Slip off and fly away. Right. So, so good. So good. All right. So, next time I will be on my own as we explore the Superman Silver Mine. And then we will get sprayed by Professor Pepperwinkle in The Big Forget. Two pretty decent episodes, yeah. actually. Um, you got Dabs uh, Greer. Uh, who was in episode one, Superman on Earth. He was the first person Superman saved in yes, the series. He yes, he was. And uh, so enjoy those, everybody. Those are good ones. Those yes. are good ones. So until you come back, tell, I want you to tell the listen, remind the listeners where they can find you. You can find me over at the Superman Forever radio podcast. That's at supermanforever.com or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever podcasts are out there in the multiverse, Superman Forever Radio. 
Yay! You can send email to me at manascreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over the Facebook group. Just put the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed and the show should, should come up. Show is also on Twitter at Man of Screencast. You can also leave me reviews in iTunes and Stitcher. That will help people find the shows in those directories. So, until next time, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. Thank you.